Well, you know what we got to do to start, right? Let's come on, back on your feet. Let's do this. <clears throat> Let's do it. Hail Jesus, you're my king. Your life frees me to sing. And I will praise you all my days. You're perfect in all your ways. Hail Jesus, you're my Lord. And I will obey your word. I want to see your kingdom come. Not my will, but yours be done. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah. Oh, how powerful you are. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah. How wonderful you are. Glory, glory to the Lamb. You take me into the land. We will conquer in your name <clears throat> and proclaim that Jesus reigns. Yeah. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah. How wonderful you are. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah. How powerful you are. One more time. Glory, glory to the Lamb. You take me into the land. We will conquer in your name. Lord, and proclaim that Jesus reigns. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah. How wonderful you are. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah. How powerful you are. How powerful you are. Lord, how powerful you are. Amen. Amen. Brothers, amen. Are you warm enough? You, brothers, you would agree with me that fire, it can be a good thing in the proper context, right? It can serve us. If it gets outside that context, it can destroy us, destroy everything. We harness fire to get where we're going. Isn't that crazy? We harness a fire. And in the context of the, you know, the, in the engine block, in the piston, that fire is our servant, but if it gets outside of that, it can, it can destroy everything and everyone. So also it is with human passion, with human passion, or especially, you know, something like sex. Sex is a powerful thing given to us by God. And in the proper context, in the covenant, which God himself created, it serves us. It welds two people together. It is, it is the actual reversal of what God did in Genesis chapter 2. When God separated from the man, woman, when God separated, as he did, Adam understood at least enough to know she was taken out of him. That Adam marveled and said, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. The reversal of what God did in taking one and making him into two is the sexual union. That is powerful. It's a very powerful thing. And it is powerful enough to produce good, to, to make life happen. Life comes by this process of the sexual union, but so also does death. Outside the context of the covenant, it is destructive. Always. Fire in the context of the fire pit 
it serves us. We want the fire in our house. We don't want our house in the fire, right? I mean, it's one thing to be in the world, but it's another thing for the world to be in you. You know, it's kind of like that with a boat, right? Your boat in the water, that's good. The water in your boat is not good. Prepositions matter. Under the big sky, look it up right now. Let's, let's do something. This, you see, the, the fire is the original television. For all of the millenniums of human history, <clears throat> men would stare into a fire to hear a story. And they would see the story, you know, in their, in their mind's eye, as they looked into the flame. So do that, and let's just talk for a moment about the discovery that 12 men made as they were in a boat on a lake at night. And, and what they didn't realize was that God himself was in the boat. They knew there was a man of God. They didn't know it was God himself, the creator. Did not know that until... He took action. So, so look into the fire and see the story, and I'll lay it out to you. Imagine one of them telling the story. We really thought we knew him as we answered his call, and we followed. A mismatched band of men we were, were sailing off into tomorrow. I never knew a man who worked so hard, and... and that would spend themselves like him. And at last I saw him finally lay down. As all light was growing dim, the darkness came, as did the wind. And that lake became a beast that howled and roared and reached for us, 13 mortals for its feast. And all that I believe now seemed like a lie Nothing made any sense as waves of terror swept over my soul. Each one was even more intense. I felt my way to the back of that boat to where I had seen him lay. And so human was he that in his fatigue and despite the pounding waves, he slept like a man, unaware that there was any reason for fear like one who knew just where he was going and exactly what he was doing here. But then this angry thought broke through my fear as my panic reached its peak and it erupted out as a hostile question. I could not help but speak. We are going to die, I cried out loud to the one who led us there. You said let's go over, but we're going under. And how is it that you don't care? And at first he said nothing, but seemed to be struggling with a mind not fully awakened. I mean, straight out of his dream, right into our nightmare. Still, he wasn't the least bit shaken. He stood up suddenly and he steadied himself. With one hand, he held to the ropes like holding the reins of a stallion. He rode that rising and falling boat, one hand in the ropes and one hand in the air while we cowered along the sides. He confronted the beast that caused us to cower, so frightened and so terrified. And the words that he spoke were not a request, and they were not a victim's plea. His words were not louder than the howl of the wind or the roar of Galilee. But his words carried power, Undeniable power that even the force of the wind had to flee. Mightier than the thunder of great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. He spoke to that storm like it was a dog. And his command muzzled its jaw. And it fled with its tail tucked in its legs. As we huddled in silence and awe. Everything was quiet upon hearing his words with the water, the earth, the sky. 
but none were as silent and speechless as we who just witnessed this with our eyes. This man who took lordship over nature, for whom nature humbly complied, then turned his gaze upon us little men, just beginning to slowly arise. Why were you frightened? He asked us. And how is it that you have no faith? You know, we had no answer to give him. And looking back, we could only say that we were afraid of all that was against us because we did not realize what manner of man it was that we followed and had trusted with our very lives. We had no answer for his question of us. I'll tell you, we had questions of our own, and one of us finally spoke those words that still echo in my soul. What manner of man indeed is he? And that is still more than I can even know. My brothers, as you sit here under the big sky, take a minute to consider. As David would, and as David did, the psalmist would consider the vastness of the heavens in contrast with the smallness of man. It would cause him to say things like, what is man? And that was when I consider the heavens. When I consider the heavens, he comes up with, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Well, the son of man, that thou dost visit him. Down here, we measure. <laughs> we have an increment we got from God. Right? We call it an inch. That little increment on the end of our finger. We have another increment, we call it a foot, and generally, approximately 10 inches, we'll measure. Or a stride, we call that a yard. We measure things in inches, feet, yards, a mile, all right, 5,000 plus, I can't remember what, 5,428, something like that, whatever, feet. <laughs> Out there, they measure it. Everything is measured in terms of light years. A distance of a light year is how fast could you, how far could you go? How far could you go if you could go as fast as light? 186,000 miles per second? If you, so again, the vastness of all that is beyond us and above us. And we're so tiny. And yet, just as the story uh, implies, the man, Jesus of Nazareth, turns out he's the creator. Turns out he's God, the glory of the incarnation. He is God who puts skin on. He, he is God who joined us, laying aside attributes of his glorious divinity, setting them aside like you and I would do with a garment, laying aside omnipresence, omnipotence, omniscience. He actually empties himself so that he would know nothing. He would have to learn everything as a man. The glory of the incarnation, brothers, the glory of God stepping in to human history, never ceasing to be God, not even for a moment, but at the same time, becoming completely human, real human, with all of our human limitations. And when he does this, <laughs> I mean, he enters this realm just like we did. He, he plunged into the darkness of our weakness and our ignorance, gave himself no advantage. Initially, just a tiny little baby, dependent upon the heart of a mortal maiden to keep his blood pumping, carried by people. As the songwriter says, in how low was our Redeemer brought? 
How low is our Redeemer brought? The one the world's obeyed would stumble as he learned to walk upon the ground he'd made. The one the angels bowed before would kneel to wash our feet and be at home among the poor, though he owned everything. Now the glory of that, the glory of the incarnation, the wonder of God stepping in to human history, second person of the Trinity, God the Son, the Son of God. And he, when it's time, and not until it's time, he lives 30 years in obscurity. Initially, Satan himself, no doubt, in the person of Herod, sought to destroy the child. <clears throat> but they failed. They didn't know they failed. Herod ordered the execution of every baby, basically carpet bomb, the whole region of Bethlehem, all of the precincts. A dreadful day. But Satan, no doubt, makes the assumption that he has stopped the plan of God. And whoever this chosen one was, was probably dead. The child was carried by mortals down into Egypt. <clears throat> I marvel a lot. <clears throat> I, I, I actually marvel that he could be so human and be so plain. Be, it fit in with us. That he could... He could blend into the crowd that he was not anything like the paintings or the, the, the paintings. Of, you can, surely you can relate because you're, you're men. When I was a boy, I saw paintings that did not move me or stir me. But he looked like a bearded lady. They, they, they always had some kind of a model with perfect symmetry and beautiful eyes. But he looked so feminine. He didn't move me at all. Now, little paper doll versions of him on, on the flannel board in Sunday school didn't move me. I believed in him, but he didn't capture my heart until he revealed himself to me in his word. And he was nothing like the pictures. He was nothing like the silly paintings. <clears throat> he was not like the paper dolls. He fit in. He blended in. He was not the prettiest man. He wasn't the most he wasn't the most majestic. He wasn't head and shoulders above the people. He didn't have a halo. Just a, a face in the crowd. And when God himself determines it's time, when God, the Father, when the fullness of time had come, <laughs> the forerunner, John the Baptist, preached. Multitudes came out in the wilderness. They emptied the cities to come out and hear a message from God out in the desert. <clears throat> to be baptized in the Jordan River. <clears throat> On one of those occasions, even as John had been for months proclaiming one that was coming after him and the greatness of this one, I sometimes wonder if John's buildup was such that people and the devils had a different sort of expectation. John spoke nothing about his appearance. John just said, he who is coming after me is greater than I because he was before me. Or the latchet of his shoes I'm not worthy to untie. <laughs> I'll baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. Greater substances. All of that build up, and no doubt, when the moment came, and it came, the man Jesus of Nazareth approached John the Baptist in the waters of the Jordan for baptism. He was like he was in the line coming to John for baptism. John stepped back. John said, whoa, I have need to be baptized of you, and yet you come to me? The answer from the Son of God tells us something. The Son of God said, allow it to be so for now, for thus we fulfill all righteousness. Have you ever thought about what he meant? 
Not just that it behooves us to fulfill all righteousness, but as G. Campbell Morgan points out, this is how all righteousness will be fulfilled. What's he talking about? The righteous, the sinless Son of God, identifying with the sinful. The sinless identifying with the sinful. This is how all righteousness will be fulfilled. John conceded, he baptized our king. <laughs> kind of crazy, isn't it? Almost like one of, one of the knights, I mean, uh, you know, knighting their king. John baptized him. John saw the heaven open, the baptism of the Son of God. Like God, God ripped the sky open and does something he never does. He spoke. He shouts down to the earth, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's as if the Father couldn't wait to say it any longer. And even on that occasion, there were some who heard his words. Others went, did it just thunder? Now, all they heard was a noise, and so it is. God speaks. His voice is like thunder. But some only hear thunder. But the heavens were open, and John saw the Spirit of God descending dove-like and resting upon this man from the waters of Jordan led by the Holy Spirit out into the desert. You can relate to the desert, man. The harshest of all climates, the most inhospitable of anything on the surface of the earth, it is like a statement, isn't it? It's like the, the statement when the curse came. And Eden was lost to us. God pronounced that man would labor by the sweat of his brow. And the earth, instead of just surrendering food, would instead yield thorns and thistles. D does not the desert epitomize that? I mean, everything's got thorns. Thorns and sweat. And in the thorns and the sweat... Of the Judean desert, there was a showdown. Two life forms. Two life forms meet. Consider who they are and the contrast between the two. Because honestly, when God shouted to the earth, when God announced, this is my son, that, my friends, was news to Satan. The man had fit in so so effectively. There was no demon shrieking in his presence, saying, we know who you are, the, the Holy One of God. What are we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Come to torment us before the time. There was none of that going on for 30 years, three decades. No devils recognized him and shrieked until God the Father blew his cover. God the Father presented him, so proud of him. And immediately, he's led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tested by the evil one. <laughs> you know how that went. But consider the contrast for just a moment. The God the Father spoke, this is my son. Do you hear the voice of contempt? The patronizing tone of the fallen angel saying, if you're the son, command these stones to be made bread. Look at you, you poor little thing. Is it really you? Why, you've really let yourself go. Is it really you? Wait, look at you tremble. You, you are dying. That's starvation. You know what's happening? Your matter. Your matter is consuming itself. You've got to do something. You've got to take matters into your own hands. You've got to end this fast. If you're really who you say. Command these stones to be made bread. That test, together with the other two, 
You hear the angelic being, the fallen angel talking down, patronizing the Son of God. Talking down to him. Even telling him, jump off the pinnacle of the temple. Why? The angels will catch you, little guy. All of us fallen human males, well, we're all, well, we're, we don't handle being patronized very well, do we? We inflate. We, we swell up like bowl, blowfish or something. We, we, we posture like tomcats. And we, we take an attitude, don't you talk to me like that. Who do you think you're talking to? But the Son of God was not so tempted. His response was so humble, so profoundly humble. And instead of yielding to the temptation, taking matters into his own hands and acting as if he were not a mortal, acting as if he had not divested himself, emptied himself of that kind of power. He didn't play the game of the evil one. Instead, he just said, hey, you know, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. <laughs> now, brothers, we, we, we were once something less than men. We were boys. We ascended to manhood. I, for one, hated being a boy. I longed for manhood. Couldn't wait for it. I hated the smallness. I hated the weakness, the vulnerability. It seemed to always be capitalized on by some bully or some abuser. I, I hated being a boy. I couldn't wait to grow, to be a man. And for me and for you, we ascended from somewhere below manhood to what we are. It's men, do you understand that the one who in the wilderness said, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, had to come a long, long, long way down, had to condescend to become one of us. Do you understand? Can you appreciate how very far down that was? I say to you. It is a greater distance than the distance between you and some insect or the, the larva of some insect, like a maggot. Like a maggot in a carcass. Maggots being maggots, they don't think it's that bad. Maggots might even think, you know, it doesn't get any better than this. Would you, if it were possible, condescend to become a maggot and identify yourself as son of maggots? And would you allow the maggots to spike you to a tree, to impale you, in order that you could save the maggots? I say to you, though humanity is created in the image of God, nevertheless, the distance between God and us is an infinite and incomprehensible distance, a far, far, far greater distance and the distance between you as a man and a maggot. He came all the way down to become one of us. There, if you could see them, and I don't, you know, did, did Satan appear in a form? I don't know, but if he did, I guarantee you that form wouldn't have been a red union suit. It wouldn't have been a, a silly costume of evil. But rather, he would have been majestic. He would have been what everybody expected Messiah to be. Massive, majestic, towering over people. Beautiful, seductive, and alluring, truthfully. Perfect symmetry. Everybody would be impressed if we could look on the scene, and yet the one that would have on that scene, in that scene appeared so beautiful, so majestic, the one that that we, in our stupid, sinful, carnal perspective, would have been tempted to worship, is one who said, I will ascend. He didn't ascend. He was thrown down to the earth, cast out of heaven. And he knows. He has a day. A day where he'll be cast into the abyss, taken from the abyss to the lake of fire. Who's the other one? 
the other character in that scene is the one who left the highest place in the universe to come down here to become one of us. He left the highest place in order to become human. Do you understand what I'm telling you? That he was slumming to live here, to identify with us, to become one of us. And then, my brothers, he approaches mere mortals with just two words, a two-word invitation. He, upon the beginning of his ministry, led by, empowered by the Holy Spirit in obedience to his Father, the Son of God, prayerfully selected 12, the number of human government. He selected 12. And with just two words, he invited them to be his disciple. Two words, follow me. In the one case, Simon and Andrew, he had added a few more words, follow me and I will make you. I'm grateful for those words. I'm grateful that he spoke those words to Simon and Andrew because those words he would speak to you and I tonight, follow me and I will make you. Our obligation is simpler than we've made it. It really is simpler than we've made it. Follow him. Our focus needs to be him. The God-man. Christ himself, our king. The one who comes to Advents. The one who comes first, suffering servant. Meekly, riding into Jerusalem on the donkey's called, but he will come again. And it won't be that way. He will come again. On a white horse. He will come with majesty no one has ever imagined. And he will come with wrath. He will come to judge. He will come to kill. The one who was covered in his own blood. When Pontius Pilate said, Behold the man! And he was brought out, paraded, following his scourging, covered in blood, his own. Streams of blood down his distorted face from all of the punctures in his scalp. And the scourge had shredded him. Open blood vessels pumping out blood and yet he stood. He stood and he even gripped the mocking reed that they put in his hand. He didn't knock the crown off of his head. He wore it. And he held the mocking reed. And he wore the mocking crown. And he was covered. Nobody was impressed that day. They had an election. <laughs> Humanity's been blowing in elections ever since the beginning. <laughs> the first vote took place in Eden. And most of them have been a total disaster ever since. They voted that day. There was a campaign. The religious leaders had all of their operatives moving through the crowd, telling everybody what to, what to do, what to say, who to choose. But it wasn't hard. When you saw the contrast between the bloody man, bound and bloody, shredded, contrasting with Barabbas, Barabbas looked like the hero, didn't he? Barabbas had blood on his hands, not all over his face. They chose Barabbas. I'm telling you, the same one who was covered in blood before will be covered in blood again. You contrast Isaiah 53 with Isaiah 63. Who is this who is covered in red? like one who's been treading out the wine. And the answer is I, I the Lord, treading out the wine of the wrath of God alone. There was nobody to help. I tell you, the Son of God will come again. And the spatter, the blood spatter will cover him. And it will be the blood of all his enemies. So let me just again remind you right now, here now, the two words that he extended, the two words to the ones he chose were, follow me. 
And Simon and Andrew, he expanded on it. Follow me and I will make you. I know you know. He said, I will make you fishers of men. I would ask you to focus on the very fact that he said, follow me. I will make you. Far too many of us trying to sort out the issues of identity have been guilty of trying to make ourselves or reinvent ourselves, trying to become something. Far too many modern Christians have a perspective that, well, yeah, I need to work on that. I need to work on this other thing. Well, there's, there's an element of truth to that, but overall, that message is a lie. We are someone else's workmanship. We forget this. We are someone else's workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which he, God, before ordained that we should walk in them. Somebody knew you before you were born. He made you. And it is he that would be our maker still, not us. We're not self-made. Mm. Oh, we can be, to a degree, self-made messes. But one who said of us that we are his workmanship, his poema, his masterpiece, and said we were created to do things. We were created for accomplishment. We were created for good works, which would glorify him. Good works in Christ Jesus, which God before ordained. God had a plan for you and me before we were ever born. I want to urge you this night to cease from the effort to try to be something. And instead, hear the words, follow me. Now, when a rabbi in that culture spoke those words, it was a culture where those in that culture understood what that meant. That rabbi means, you go where I go. Sit with me. Walk with me. Be with me and learn from me. And you would learn, as their rabbi said, in the dust of your rabbi, in the dust of your teacher. He said, follow me. Brothers, you and I all have this in common. We desire to follow him. We desire to know him. We desire to be the men that he created us to be. Glory to God. Man. God, the one who made, as the scripture says, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. The God who made them, made you. And when he made them, he made them for you, had you in mind. He set you and me up. You know, the whole thesis of a masterpiece of a book uh, by two astrophysicists, <clears throat> Privileged Planet, goes way beyond everybody else's thinking. There are others who have made the case that this is the best place for life to happen. The more information we gather from out there in space, in those great distances, the more information our advanced telescopes send back to us, the more we discover there's no place like this. There is no place like this. There's nothing like it. We happen to be just the right distance from our sun for water, which has a really small window to be liquid. If we were a little further away, it would be solid. If we were a little closer, it would be vapor. And life, like us, would be impossible. Others have made the case that it's the best place for life to happen. Life as we understand, human, mortal life. But those guys with privileged planets went way beyond that and make the case that based on all the information that we have gathered, this is clearly not only the best place for life to happen, but it is the best place for discovery. Somebody set us up here. We were set up so that that object that God hung in orbit around this planet is just the right size and 
just the right di distance so that it appears to be the exact same size as that other object that just went over the horizon as our Earth continues to rotate on its axis. It, it, no, that's not just a little piece of novelty. Like, wow, they look like they're the same size. Well, it's bigger than that. It means that one can come between the other and us. That we can have a perfect solar eclipse. And when the moon comes directly between us and the sun, and it becomes possible for us to then see the light of the sun without being blinded by it, turns out, according to the astrophysicist, that being able to see light without being blinded by light makes all kinds of other discovery possible. I don't know if you know this, but there's not only the uniqueness of this atmosphere that it is made for us to inhale, it is also one of the only transparent atmospheres. We were set up to be able to look out. We were set up, I'm telling you, despite the vast distances between the objects, the stars, the planets, galaxies, solar systems, all of that was all put there with you in mind, for you. God said, they'll be for us, for seasons, for navigation. He had us in mind. So he could make statements like the ones he made to Abraham. He said, Abe, if you could count the stars, you'd be able to count your children. I'm going to make out of you. The one who made all of it has made us and would still make us. We are his workmanship. Yeah, we're mortal. Yes, we are very incomplete. But have you heard the invitation from him? Just as those 12 did, he has called each one of you, each of us. Well, the same words, follow me. He should be our focus. Our obsession. Him, not us. I'm not trying to figure out how we can get better at this or, or get over that. But instead, we should look to him. And in doing so, we will find change. Let me give you, I'm going to give to you right now, four words. Four words that should be relevant to you and me as we follow him. Four words. The first word is love. Love should absolutely be our primary motivation for what it is that we do and for who we are. Loving God will love our heart, soul, mind, and strength is what we're commanded to do. Our love for him, however is only, really, us ever loving him back. It's a response. Therefore, I submit to you that love for us, to him, is, is synonymous with gratitude. Highest motivation of all. We should be motivated by the promise of reward. That's only smart. We should be motivated by the warning of consequences or cost. That also, it's only smart. But the highest motivation of all is gratitude. The only way we grow in gratitude is if we grow in our awareness of who he is and all that he's done for us. That, brothers, only happens by spending time with him in the word and in prayer. You're all of you, no doubt, familiar with the word addict. Well, I'm here to inform you that we're all addicts. Everybody is an addict. I'd like to point out to you that all through the history of English, the word addict was not a noun, it was a verb. Addict. 
And we read in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15, the apostle Paul uses it when he says, you know those of the house of Stephanus, how they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Look it up in your dictionary, your old dictionary. Look it up in your 1828 uh, Webster's Dictionary. Get the app. <laughs> Keep it in your phone. Look up what things used to mean. Addict was a verb. And they, past tense, of the house of Stephanus, have addicted themselves to the work of the, or the ministry of the saints. Addict, in the old dictionary, they give you one word to define it. To addict is to devote. It's a silly thing that people say when they express that so-and-so has an addictive personality. Oh, he's just an addict. He's just given to extremes. Extreme what? Extreme devotion. The issue with most who are identified as addicts is that they've de uh, devoted themselves to something unworthy of their devotion. I want to encourage you men to understand that addicted means devoted. Devoted is an expression of love. The question is, have we given ourselves to something that is worthy of our love? Well, there's only one truly, truly worthy. And if we grow in our understanding of how much he has loved us and how much he's done for us, how great he is, how powerful he is, we will love him more. I submit to you, brothers, that the word love is relevant to us actually following him. We should grow in our love for him. If we do, well, <laughs> in the war between desire, we can fight desire with desire. There are desires that we all have that need to be denied, contrary to what the rest of the world is saying. Stupid world. <laughs> under, the, under the influence of the evil one, the new philosophy is everybody should just obey every lust. If we do that, we'll be barbarians. We do that, we'll all die. If we all just act on our lust, we'll live like animals, die like dogs. There are desires within all of us that must be denied. There are other desires that must be fed. If we will feed ourselves the knowledge of we will grow in our love for him. I want to tell you on the subject of love one more thing. Our obligation and the answer to so many of our troubles is just following him and in the process of following him growing in our realization of his absolute worthiness. Do you understand what I just said to you? What is worship in English? You know, the old English word goes all the way back to worth-ship. It goes back to recognizing the worthiness and giving the worthy one what is due. Second word I have for you. First word is love. The next word is lordship. It's been spoken several times today. Lordship, complete surrender to the Son of God. That we would all cease to be the Lord of our own lives, but rather we would choose him. That we would swear our allegiance to him, the worthy one. Lordship, John chapter 8, the Son of God said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You want to be free? Continue his word. Know it. Know the truth. He said, whom a son sets free is free indeed. Only disciples who know the truth are truly free. Understand how that truth makes it possible for us to be free? It's the truth of who he is, and in light of who he is, who we are. I'm going to leave you two more words. Love, lordship. The third expression is actually two words. Learned action. Learned action. Actions that we actually trained ourselves in, they become what we call habits, 
brothers, we all have them. And right now, every one of us are either reinforcing a habit or developing a new habit, or we are breaking an old habit. But it's an act of the will. It's something we do. You've got to be deliberate about. It is written in Romans chapter 6. Let me read you this. Romans chapter 6, in verse 11 through 16. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. I don't know if you know this. King James Version uses the word instruments. The Greek word, you can translate it tool, or you can translate it weapon. You and I have been invited to yield our members as weapons of righteousness. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as weapons of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? <laughs> Should we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants, literally, his slaves you are, to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Brothers, some of us have habits, besetting sins that we have not been able to get free from. And some of us are waiting for some overwhelming feeling or some supernatural infusion that's going to suddenly end an old habit. Do you understand that habits are God's design? We're designed for habit. Habits are intended by God to be our slaves, serving us, not our masters. Habits are developed by one act of obedience at a time. And habits are broken the same way. Quit waiting for some instant thing to come over you and break your habit. I say it as your brother. Break it just as you forged it. One link in a chain at a time. One act of disobedience to that which you don't want to have as your master. One act of disobedience at a time. If the process of obeying makes something your master, then the process of disobeying breaks that mastery. Love. We must love the Lord and grow in our love for the Lord if we're going to change. Lordship, we need to obey him and choose him, the worthy one. Learned action needs to be relearned, and we can break those habits. Fourth expression, lifestyle. We should love the Lord. We should choose him as our Lord. Lordship. We should break all of that learned action with new action, by the way, you know this, right? You do know that the New Testament commands us to put off some things and put on other things. Commands us to take action. Put off and put on. Let me read you from Romans chapter 13. And by the way, there are many other places in the epistles where we're told, put off all of this. Put off lying. Now speak the truth one to another. Let him that stole steal no more, but let him lay out labor so he has something to share. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There's all of these passages in the epistles that call us put off and put on. But this one, Romans 13, 11 through 14. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand, and I believe that. I believe the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, 
and let us put on the armor of light. Not only are we to yield our members our, as weapons of righteousness, we're supposed to suit up and get in this, this fight. Put off and put on. Put on the armor of light. Let us, work, let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in the rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envyings, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I call you, my dear brothers, to a lifestyle. Expressing your love, growing in your love for the Lord, yielding to his lordship, breaking learned action, forming new learned action, the habits of a godly man, the habits of a disciple, and lifestyle, choosing a lifestyle in which we put off and we put on a dual reality. The Spirit of God wants to change us from the inside out, but at the same time, he calls us to cooperate with him by putting off and putting on. Last thing he said in that passage in Romans was make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't provide opportunity for the flesh. There are two things that we seek to keep from coming together. Evil desire and opportunity to act on it. Every man in this gathering right now that has a smartphone has the capacity for it to become a smartphone. And you know that. It's not that hard to make changes. It is not that hard, especially if you got an iPhone, much to my utter amazement, that evil corporation has actually equipped this thing so that you can lock down your browser. I think they set it up for, you know, parental oversight. I need that oversight. As you log down your browser, you cannot erase, you cannot delete your browser's history. I need that. Now, maybe you're way cooler than me. Maybe you're just so much more spiritual, you don't need that. But most of you are not. So, make a change. No opportunity. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. It's that simple lifestyle choices that take us away from the opportunity. Now, you can't leave this world. I'm not suggesting that. There's always going to be temptation here. Charles Spurgeon, though, he used an expression, and I think it's relevant today. He used the expression. He observed what he said was men tempting the devil to tempt them. Men tempting the devil to tempt them. There's always going to be temptation. But the stupid man goes looking for it and leaves himself ready access. I encourage you, brothers, to the lifestyle that has you putting off, putting on, and making no provision for the flesh. And opportunities for the flesh need to be denied. Opportunities for the spirit need to be granted. We are in charge of that. I submit to you that all of this is part of our following him. Are you a follower of him? Are you really? Have you? Then have you followed with your whole heart? I want to review. We need to be loving and growing in our love for him. We need to grow in our yieldedness to his lordship and choose him as the lord of our life. We need to break learned action, and develop new righteous learned action, new habits, new reflexes. We need to choose a lifestyle that fits who it is that we follow and who he has called us to be. I remind you again, the same God who made the moon and had you in mind when he did it, the same God who gave us the lunar calendar, the same God who made the sun, who set this whole thing up, is your maker and would be your maker still. I'm going to tell you who, who your maker is not. Your dad is not your maker. He had a role to play. Now, he either played it right or he played it wrong, or maybe he just did the best he could. Somewhere in the middle. 
Your environment's not your maker. Your experience is not your maker. Other people, your peers, teachers, they didn't make you. They're not making you now. Every single one of us needs to end all the excuses of our bad behavior and our, and our stupid thinking. The excuses we give about, yeah, but you don't understand what I've been through. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what happened to me. We've all, all of us, grown up in a world full of pain and full of trouble. All of us have. None of us have an excuse. We're going to stop all that stuff, and, 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 and I'll remind you again. You are not your own maker. You don't have to remake you. All you and I have to do is follow him. Grow in your love for him. Surrender to his lordship. Develop new learned action, new habits. Break the old ones. Stop waiting for a miracle to happen. A miracle will happen one act of disobedience to the flesh at a time and one act of obedience to your king at a time. Those things that, that scream to you, and I know what it is. I, I get it. I know what it is to have lust calling you, screaming to you. If you yield to it, it just gains more power over you. If you can and will, by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, disobey lust, lust gets weaker. It will lose its grip. You want to break the grip of lust? It will not happen instantly as much as you wish it would. For the vast majority of us, it'll happen one act of disobedience to lust and obedience to God at a time. Choose a lifestyle that fits who you are called to be. Know who you are in light of who he is. Unless, brothers, let's walk in a manner that's worthy of our king. I'm going to end this right now with the following invitation. If you know in your heart, I'm talking about if you're convicted, I'm not trying to convict you, but if the Spirit of God has convicted you, that you have not been following, that you've not been grown in your love for the Lord, you've not chosen Him as your Lord, and yielded to his lordship, even given into all the wrong habits, and also bugged with God for not breaking them for you. Bro, you formed them, you, you formed every link. You will need his help to break them, but he won't break them for you, but he will help you. He will give you the grace to do it, I'm telling you. He's not going to turn you. The Holy Spirit doesn't take possession. He won't possess you make you do anything, or make you quit doing anything. But if you look to him, he'll help you. He will empower you. He has given to us the Holy Spirit, the helper. But if you're convicted, if you're under conviction, that um, you know your lifestyle really needs to change, if that's what's going on with you right now, I'm asking you, stand, if that's you, and we'll pray for each other. If you're under conviction that things need to change, I'm not expecting everybody to stand. But if tonight you're realizing the worthiness of the Son of God, the captain of our salvation, you're realizing on a level you never did before the greatness of Christ, and you want to love him more, realizing how much he has loved you, you want to be more yielded to his Holy Spirit, to his Lordship? Do you want to break old habits and develop new habits? If you're under conviction, if you're convicted, not every Christian man needs to stand. I know that most of you are doing this. But if you're convicted, I ask you one more time, stand with these guys, because we're all going to pray for each other. Everybody standing that needs to stand? Everybody been honest enough? All right? Now, all you brothers that are sitting and all you guys who are standing, Everybody stand, reach over and put the hand on your shoulder of your brother. There hath no temptation taken any of us, but such as is common to man. 
It's all common. We deal with the same stuff. We need each other, man. We all deal with the same stuff, and we need brothers. Right now, there should be a hand on your shoulder. There should be a shoulder under your hand. That's how we need to live life. And we need to pray for each other. Father, in the name of Christ, we stand here as brothers to one another and sons to you, overwhelmed by you, that you would send your only begotten for such worms as us. We recognize in your word that you are our maker and you want to make us so much more than what we are. Then when the whole program is over with, we will be like you. We'll see you as you actually are. Oh Lord, here we are right now, so very incomplete, praying for each other and ask that you would please help us. We ask Lord Jesus that you would bring us clarity on what it is we need to do just following you. That we need to grow through your word and through time with you to just love you more, realizing how much you have loved us, that we would love you back. And we would stop obeying everything but you and start actually obeying you. That's our prayer. Give us strength that we don't have. In the name of Christ, we stand here as brothers, praying that you would infuse us with the power you promised from the Holy Spirit that our lives would change and that the lifestyle we find ourselves living is the one that you called us to, that glorifies you and fulfills the purpose for which you created us. With all our heart, we pray this now for each other in the mighty name of the captain of our salvation, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Brothers, we need to worship him. Come on, Jeb, we need to worship the Lord.